This is The Things We Do podcast, a podcast about film, life, television, culture, mental health, and all that fun, jazzy stuff. Today, I've got my special guest and friend, Naomi Bellow. Hello. Hi. 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 How are you? Uh, I'm great. I'm a bit cold. We yeah. just had a discussion about um, the weather, you know, like classic <laughs> go-to um, small talk conversation. Because, like, personally, I'm freezing. I mean, not to, like, bring up gender equality right away, but uh, people are always talking about how girls are always much colder. Yeah. Maybe we're just smaller and we're, I don't know. But, yes, I'm freezing. Um, Marty is not. But no, yeah, I'm, you know. I'm actually boiling. And you yeah. know what I'm going to do before we even talk? I'm Also, none of that's going in. No, it is going in. Oh, great. But, but I'm just doing that, so it's actually... It's <laughs> pointed at me. So. It's not just like tilted up to the heavens. Yeah, fair. No, uh, he had to adjust the mic because although you can't see me, you should know that I'm very, very small. You're not that small. I'm pretty small. You're, what are you, five? Uh, I should know this two? off the top of my head. I'm 155 centimeters. Okay. Okay. So I'll give or take. It's pretty small. Yeah. It's pretty small. <laughs> Look, Let's just say that I'm... um. I'm it's easy to find me a co-star, a romantic co-star that's taller than me. Although I have run into issues where they're too tall. Yeah. Recently, I did a, I did a film, and they cast me first. It was a romantic film. They oh, cast yeah. me first, and um, they brought in a couple, not a couple, a, a bunch of guys to chemistry test with me, and one of them was so tall that we just like could not. We were trying to do the scene. And there's just bits where we're supposed to hug or whatever. Oh, and no. like literally I was having to get on a chair so I could reach him. Oh, no. So obviously he didn't get the part, but he was a great actor. Nothing against you. It just, <laughs> just goes like that sometimes. Yeah. Just your height. Yeah, no, yeah. Um, so obviously now people know a little bit about you, but obviously right. go through yes. the spiel of who you are and what you do. I don't really spiel. I'm not really a elevator pitch kind of gal. <laughs> you know, that's what I said before on the introduction. I'm all about the vibe. You know, I'm a bit of an enigma. You don't yeah, even know. <laughs> I'm the wrong person to bring on a podcast. <laughs> I'm very private. Uh, no, all right. Anyway, who am I? I'm Naomi Ballet. I, I am an actor. Um, I am a musician. I am a songwriter. I am a director. I'm an editor. What else? I would say actor first, then songwriter, then musician, then director, then editor. You've had a bit of a plethora. Like plethora, yeah. Yeah, like or, of everything. Yeah, <laughs> totally. I'm a slasher. You know what that's what they say in this industry. You gotta be a this slash this slash this. That's true, yeah. If I was one, I would say actor. Yeah. Because yeah. I was saying this to a friend the other day. The thing that really quantifies that for me, like wise actor the foremost one it's because like professionally i this is the difference between like an amateur and a professional actor in any way or like in any creative thing is um can you do it whenever can you turn yourself on and bring it whenever when it however you're feeling whatever you're doing whatever's going on can you just turn up leave it all behind and do it and with acting i can like whatever it yeah, doesn't matter yeah. if I just got in a car accident, I can turn up and just do a scene that's funny. But with music, which is another thing I do, that real people sometimes ask me, can you write a song for this? Could you do this? And I'm like, not really. I don't want to. So with music, it's like whatever I, whenever the you know divine inspiration strikes, I follow that. And that's it. That's the only way that I engage with it. I, and I, I find it supplementary to acting as well. So that's why right now it's not my primary. But, uh, you know, you never know, never say never, whatever. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But, yes, definitely always flitting between those two I mean, fangs. And but, often I combine them. Like, yeah. I often will get a role that requires singing, you know. Played a jazz I, yeah. singer last year. That was great. I, I don't know what your opinion on, the like, the whole, you know, Australian government sort of, like, looking down as the arts not being a huge thing or oh, it's, yeah. like, you know. Criminal. It's, yeah. Well, I mean, it's, like, I said this is the perfect example. Do you remember a couple of years ago the government um, cut fee help yeah. courses? There, there, there used to be this um, university or, you know, tertiary degree, you know, yes. and they had – a 90% employment rate. I'm going to say that again. Not 19, not 19, 90%, 90% employment rate in that field. That is like a higher amount than like nursing degrees. It is absurd. And we have a gigantic export in workers and they all go to the US. Like even economically, it's a stupid decision to not mm. invest in the arts. Just, ugh. Yeah. Anyway, but <laughs> but yeah, people don't, and a lot. I think it's also like um, th- there is a real sort of trying to prove. There's a lot of like proving. 
to... I think if you're trying to prove you've already failed. In what way? I'm intrigued by I, this. I don't think... I don't think a path to success in any field, arts or not arts... Yeah. I don't think it's a good thing to be focusing on proving yourself because that implies your success... Um, it implies your success relies on recognition from others. And that is a or really unhealthy way to approach it. Proving to yourself. Well, that's a different thing. Yeah. So proving could go either way, which is like proving to others or proving to yourself. So you're proving to yourself but that you, you can do with something is is constantly uplifting. Oh, well, yeah, that's great. Yeah. Compare the, yourself yeah. to yourself. But like trying to prove to the government or prove to no, society, that's just like, I mean, that's a futile mission. You'll yeah. never get it. No, and I think, I think that, you know... A lot of people out there are trying to prove to others that they can do something, and and but the, that's the path to madness. Okay, it is though. It is. It is. I mean, because it'll never be enough if you proved it to that person. There'll be a new person. There's always someone else. Yeah. What, what do you think? What do you take on then originality? Like, what's what do you your? Mean? You know, when everyone's trying to come up with a new great idea, what do you well, think? I have another opinion on that. It's like, well, you know, hi, my name's Naomi, and I have a lot of opinions. Um, no, but the thing is, I say this all the time. If you're that's a really impure motive to make yeah. art. When I hear people say, I'm trying to do this thing and I'm going to blow people's minds. I just want to blow people's minds. I'm like, that's an impure motive. Again, how does your art contribute to society? Mm. And proving that you're so much smarter and more original than everyone else is an ego thing. Like feeding your ego is not contributing to society. Yes. So that's a really stupid motivation for making art. There's a yeah, there's a few motivations for making art that are ridiculous. It's like doing it to get laid, stupid. <laughs> doing it to prove to people that you're smarter than everyone, stupid. You yeah. know what I mean? I I agree, and I think I think it's also the, kind of what it, you know funnels out the people who are actually good at it. Well, or, that's an arbitrary question. Yeah, well, yeah. I try uh, not to. I don't really have an opinion on who's good or not. I just think if people are creating, great. I'm if not going to sit here and be like bad, 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 bad. No, bad. but some well, actually, that's what critics do. But um, yeah, but critics aren't artists. That is true. Do you think they? Do you think it would be beneficial if they were artists? No, I think it's a separate field. It's also sad. Like I say this about anything. Um, <laughs> like how sad would it be to be a food critic? Think about it. Yes. When I'm sad. I eat food. When I'm sad, all I have to do is eat, you know, the shittiest chocolate croissant from Woolies. And I'm like, oh, my God, I'm so happy. This is the most delicious shit ever. Can you imagine being Matt Preston and, like, most chocolate doesn't do it for you? Fuck, that sucks. So movie critics do the same shit to themselves. Can you imagine making yourself, like, taking away that pleasure? You know what I mean? Yeah, because yeah, you're, yeah. Training, you're training an analytical part of your brain. But, see, critics do have an important role to play in society. Yeah. Yeah, but it's like people say like, I don't know. I, I don't really watch Avengers, but I've seen like one. Everyone's seen one at some point. And yeah. like, you know, people say, oh, it's bad, but it mainstream films. Anyone who says a film like Avengers is a bad film hasn't seen bad films. Yeah. I've seen, I just said that I don't judge people, but <laughs> I've, okay, a bad film is like incomprehensible, yeah. self-indulgent student stuff that doesn't yeah. even edit together and the sound keeps cutting out. An Avengers film, it's like, Okay, you could argue the writing stage is the least original phase, but the level of craftsmanship involved yeah. in every costume designer and every stunt person and, and the acting is great and the cinematography is great and the FX are great. So it's like, I'm not going to sit there and hate on that. No, that... <laughs> there is one movie critic I like. I always loved Roger Ebert. I, I grew up reading his reviews. He rings a bell. Why don't I know that name? He's the only critic i believe who's won the pulitzer prize really yeah which is you know impressive yeah what i liked about him is he loved movies that's that's yeah. the thing and you know i think the thing is is that he isn't a failed artist trying mm. to hate on movies he just always loved films in an academic way and he started as like a writer like always in the chicago tribune i think so like he, that's it's it's the most the worst movie critics are failed artists. They're really useless because it's just all cynicism. Yeah. Um, but Roger Ebert loved movies and it's in there. And like he would take a movie for what it was. Like I despise when I read, I don't really read reviews, but if I read a review and someone's criticizing a film for not being what it isn't, that just pisses me off. Yeah. It's like, don't criticize a rom-com for not being 
an important historical thing. Or like The Greatest Showman. Don't criticize The Greatest Showman for not being historically accurate or important. That's it's judge it on its ability to be a fluff musical because that's what it is. And as being a fluff musical, it was great. It was directed by someone who directs music videos. The way they put movement on screen and stuff, great. Performances, yeah. great. For what it is, it was great. And also, again, going back to the thing of like, does your art contribute to society? That does contribute to society. A lot of people needed that. A lot of people need uplifting, beautiful stories like that. Yeah. Personally, I can attest to when I saw it, I... This was back in the day when I knew someone who worked at a cinema, so I got to see it for free. But what th- the context in which I watched it is that I just watched The Florida Project, which I love, by the way. I think it's one of the greatest films made in the last 10 years or whatever. Mm. Sean Baker, amazing. Um, but it was so, like, heart-wrenching. Like, I, I, it actually, like, I'm t- too sensitive it's like I sometimes avoid films if I think it'll affect me too much. Like I've never seen Mother because I know it would just send me insane. Oh, yeah, that's... Yeah, so I'm just too sensitive. But um, I watched this film and I just like, I was like stressed out. There were things going on in my life that kind of... Anyway, so I just, it just really stressed me out and I like couldn't calm down. And I was like, I'm going to go watch The Greatest Showman. And you know what? It made me feel better. So mm. again, that contributes to society. I mean, I learned that lesson as a really judgmental, pretentious teenager. Because I would, you know, run around being like... I had a very high standard of what good art is and I basically thought it was just, you know, Charlie Kaufman, Paul Thomas Anderson, you know, r- amazing ama- Terrence Malick or just yeah, the yeah, highest yeah. of the high. That's good art and everything else is garbage and useless and get it out of my face. And I remember one time I came in and my mother was watching Married at First Sight or something and I was like, "Mum, you know reality TV isn't real. Why are you watching that garbage? And she turned around to me and she goes, Naomi, I work a really hard job, a really hard job, and I just want to come home and turn off my brain. And you know what? She does. She works the kind of job that if she didn't do it right, people would die. Mm. So it's like, no, you know what? You're right, mum. I'm sorry. (laughs) And there it is. You know what I mean? So that's my benchmark. If your art contributes less to society than Married at First Sight, it's useless. Because Married at First Sight, I don't watch it, whatever. Again, I don't like that stuff, but... That does provide a service to people. Yeah. So if your art doesn't provide at least enough of a service to society, is married at first sight, get out of my face, and you're self-indulgent. Can I just say that? Welcome to your TED talk because yeah. that was amazing. Yeah. Welcome to my TED talk. Uh, um, I mean, like, I agree with that, and I think that's something very interesting because a lot of a lot of people. This is what I say about superhero films as well, and I I do agree. Like, I think that people automatically put them into bad categories because, you know, but they serve a purpose for people. They serve a, you know, fulfillment. They, you know, exert a, like, childhood sense of joy. Yeah, if people like it, who are you to to, to go, that shouldn't exist? Like, who are you? But do you you think that then it's just generalized audience members just going and wanting to hate on people and their differences. Yeah, of course, but that says more about the people society doing it and, than yeah. the, the artists themselves. I will add as a caveat to that, too, though. If, okay, if you're a normal person, oh, you're allowed to have opinions on things, like I'm, who am I, the arbiter of truth or what you're allowed <laughs> to say. Um, but if you're an artist, there is value in critiquing things in your field. So if you're yeah. a cinematographer and you're watching films and you're like, the the shooting is kind of not good, that is helpful because it's how you learn to be good is you yeah. develop that taste, is you look at it and you go, but you can't just say that's bad. You need to say, you need to analyze, why does this not work in the same way that everything Roger Deakins shot works? Yeah, You know what I mean? You got to analyze why and you definitely don't need to talk about it to anyone else. So that's the thing. So it's... It's perfectly fine and definitely valuable. Like I watch acting and I'm like, that doesn't really work. Why doesn't it work in the same way that Daniel Kalula works? Because I love yeah. him. He, everything he does is great. Oh, yeah, he's so you can, you can watch acting and be like, that doesn't really work. There's a reason that doesn't work. Why? But I would never say to anyone and I would never say to the person, oh, I didn't really like your performance. And I would never say to anyone else, oh, they weren't really good. Because what's the point of that? That comment wouldn't add anything. No. But it is helpful for me to go, why doesn't that work? And I'm always doing that my whole life. Just analyzing, you know, because the the other thing about is like if something resonates with people, there's a reason. And this is proven with TikTok coming up, right? Because I have a bunch, no, because I have a bunch of friends who... 
did really well on the internet yeah. in like 2010, 2011, 2012, and they had a bunch of things go viral. They've uploaded the same things to TikTok, you know, why not? Yeah. Get that extra revenue. And the same things went viral. Mm. So the, it kind of proves that if something is good content, it's good content. That's true. I think also with with a platform like TikTok, it is just, it is the way it's algorithm works it's very clever and a lot of the time you can just find instantly what you you want and i think that's very good but also in saying that yeah i do i do sort of agree with that because you know the this reasons like alfred hitchcock films or whatever have lasted the testament of time is you can sit someone in front of them and go that's a you know people will uh, will go oh shit that's actually a fucking good. good film yeah like in summation like don't be a hater no. Like if something is wildly popular and you look at it and you go, oh, that's why the heck is that popular? Like even Jake Paul, you go like, why the hell is that shit popular? There's a reason. Yeah. So you're an idiot if you if you um, pass over it. Like you are doing yourself a disservice as an artist if you look at it and you go, oh, wasted time. Yeah. That just randomly became famous. How did it even come famous? I don't even know. Whereas if you actually look at it, you take the time to analyze. All right, I find this repulsive, but what is it about this? that made it popular, yeah. then you can take that tiny bit and then add it to whatever your unique thing is. Going back to originality, it's like we're all deeply original and deeply unoriginal. Yeah, That's why it's like the focus shouldn't really be on being original. The focus should be with connecting and amalgamating all the things that are uniquely your perspective and bringing that to it. Yeah. Because we all are inherently unique in the sense that like, you know, like we all have endless contradictions. And it's in those contradictions usually that the most interesting parts of us lie. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. you know when you meet someone and like, well, you know, they used to be a lawyer and they gave it up to be a musician. That's interesting. But so is a musician who gave it up to be a lawyer, you know, because it's like, it's the combination of two completely opposite things that yeah. makes it interesting. I I agree. <laughs> There's nothing about anything that you've said that I'm like, hmm, that is inherently wrong. No, people, I, don't, people don't usually disagree with me because I just yell at them until they agree with me. <laughs> No, but I actually find it interesting because it's it's a side of the coin which I, I find, and it's the reason I do, when I listen to critics and when I listen to reviews of anything, and it's the same with, you know, it's the same with music as well. Right. Like the way I listen to music, I didn't grow up um, listening to music like most, most people, but a lot of people had their favorite bands and everything. And I grew up with like soundtracks and stuff. And I was like, this is really good. But people used to go, oh, do you know, like this artist, I'm like, never heard of them. Yeah, right. and And like. Actually, you know, I remember a few years ago when we last met, you were giving me a list of names that I'd never heard of. Oh, yeah, and right. now it's just like my music knowledge is much better than it was. But there's there is all these different reasons to why I like certain songs and their perspective is my perspective, but they're not necessarily – if someone likes something different, mm. I'm not going to be like, that's a shit song as well. Yeah. Like I'm not going to be like, your taste is awful. Do you think you've made it part of your identity that you stand – that you stood so opposingly from the mainstream of what music people liked? Like, do you think you're like, I listen to soundtracks, whereas most people listen to no, the mainstream? I think, I think it was just because, like, it was mostly a learning disability for me, from my right. perspective, because words w- went basically over my head right. a lot of the so time. So you just prefer instrumentals? Uh, yeah, love instrumentals. I think it's just the the melody and the rhythm and everything that just goes into my head. And I'm like, oh, awesome. But it's so interesting now because everyone just goes, oh, what do you think of the lyrics? And I go... There were lyrics. Like, so you're not big on lyrics. I, I do love lyrics, but right. I have to kind of look them up yeah, because look, I have yeah, no understanding. Yeah. yeah, I know. So who's your favorite lyricist? Oh, like um, who's someone whose music you're like? That's uh, great lyrics. I well, Taylor Swift is one of my top at the moment. Yeah, I mean she's a great lyricist. Yeah, she is. I mean also though I will say. You ever listen to Sufjan Stevens? Damn. Really? I haven't. I don't. I don't know if my partner has introduced me to. Do you know Sufjan Stevens? No. You would know at least. Have you seen "Call Me by Your Name"? Yes. All right. So the closing song. I have loved you for the last time. Oh yeah. Is it a video? So that's kind of his vibe, um, but his lyrics, again, interestingly, he's a um, talking about contradictions. Mm. I'm not saying anything. It's not my place. Um, but. There's suggestions in a lot of his lyrics that he is a queer artist, but he's never openly come and said he's a queer artist. He did lend music to a queer film, whatever. Mm. But he's also referencing a lot of Christian mythology in his lyrics. Mm. So the combination is very interesting. 
And it's ambiguous. Like, he's just using them. This is any great artist. It's like they muse on esoteric large concepts and Mm. interweave it with truly personal emotions. And that's what he does. That's what I mean. But the contradiction is interesting. And that's he's a great example of what I was saying with we have that inside of us. Like, yeah. people have those kinds of contradictions inside of us, and usually that's where the most interesting art is. And it, I think it's usually more interesting if it's not conclusive. Like, like what I'm saying is, you have no, I have no idea. Like, I have no idea if he's queer, I have no idea if he's Christian. But bringing both of those, yeah. you know, some people would say opposing forces in his music is interesting. That is true. That is true. It, yeah, I think, I think that is interesting because that makes me kind of like go, huh, it doesn't really, yeah. Yeah, like even on your face, you're like, oh, huh, that is. Yeah. That's, well, yeah. Yeah. That's that, interesting. That is interesting, yeah. yeah. And that's all I look for in art is interesting. Yeah. Um, I don't look for perfect. In fact, perfect is often very, very uninteresting. Yeah, that's true. I think um, one of my other favorite artists is Mika. And, mm. um, but I remember sort of discovering Mika at like knowing majority of his songs now under his name uh, but before then i had no i just heard all these songs that i really liked and i was like oh this yeah. is cool and then suddenly um yeah it was just like discovering like, like which all these... one which one? Oh god um sing a bit oh no i can't even sing for the life of me no, that's gonna, all right you don't need you're it. not gonna make <laughs> um no i'm trying to remember oh god my brain has died oh, that's all right. uh give me two ticks <laughs> look at my phone the ones uh, with the really high notes they are oh, man yeah. um everything with Oh well, yeah, that's his thing, isn't it? Isn't I, he? Isn't he French? He is. That's what I mean. Doesn't he have a whole like uh, discography that's also in French? He does. He has a couple of songs in French. Yeah. Um, I mean, that's interesting. Uh, Grace Kelly is a great song, actually. Grace Kelly. My one that I remember is "Happy Ending," and that's I will crazy. happily live, um, listen to that song. But I think it's also like I will sing in the car when I like with a song. Yeah. I'm one of those people who just like I used to do pop kids. I used to do singing choirs. Don't know why I gave up, but also just like a lot of, lacked a lot of confidence with singing. So it's just like interesting. I mean, I think that's sad, you know, like, okay, I am big on that. Everyone has a voice. Um, And I think it's really sad the way people think to sing out loud happily, you need to be good. Yeah. Good is like Bob Dylan is like, like you you don't need to sound like someone on the voice. You know what I mean? That's true. I think it's sad. Like if you look at... If you, even if you read older books, you know, some, even something like, like Little Women, in most households they used to have a piano or something and it was a community tool. Like people just sat around and sang as yeah. a way to connect with each other. It, it's, I mean, and like let's making the distinction between professional artists and also art. You don't need to be a professional artist to make art. That's really sad. The emphasis we have these days on like monetizing your hobbies. I think it's really important yeah. to have a hobby that you don't monetize. Do you, that's true, actually. What what do you consider a hobby of your own then that you wouldn't monetize? Oh, I mean, my hobbies would be probably cooking, baking, yoga. Yeah. Yeah. So those things you would just be like, no, never going to... Yeah, exactly. Because they... You know, they give me a moment to become present with myself and, you know, connect with nature. Mm. I like hiking. That's another one. You know, it's like hobby should be something that fuel you. Mm. And there's no stress around it because it's not like, oh, if I don't hike, my hiking won't get as good. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah, yeah. But it's also great to like be good at your hobby. A hobby doesn't mean we don't care. No. That's something that's wrong with Western society as well. It's like either you monetize it. Or it doesn't matter. You yeah. should still treat your hobbies like they matter because they do matter, but you don't need to monetize them. Yeah, that's true. And if you practice, you know, yeah, it's just about taking the pressure off, but still practicing excellence because it's your habits and stuff that that's what contributes to who you are. You know what I mean? Yeah. yeah. So you shouldn't be lazy in your hobbies. Do you? Either. That's true. I know, but you shouldn't because it contributes to a bad feeling inside anyway. That's true. But you don't have to monetize it and you don't have to be good at it. You just have to approach it with excellence. There's a difference. It's not because it's not results-based. It's not like I have to be the best baker. It's just that when I sit down and bake, it's like I'm not just going to throw something together like it doesn't matter. I'll take the time to like do a recipe I really want to do and try my best. Do you think you've always had that perspective, though, like ever since you were young? Or was that something that really just kind of like took you off now, kind of like in later years? 
Which part of that? Like the, the whole kind of like just having an outward, um, you know, like you've got your hobbies, you've got your things that you want to monetize, but also the things that like, you know, the whole subjective of what is, you know, good and bad isn't necessarily like any opinion. Because you talk about being like a little bit like when you were younger where it's just like you did have like, yeah, I definitely like black and white. I did have to learn to have hobbies. Well, like that's a good example because yeah. I used to, yeah, I say that from a point of view of like, Someone who was just like, I'm only going to work on all the things that are my goals yeah. at all. But that actually makes you burn out. So it's like, if you're the kind of person that listens to me go, you need to have hobbies. And you go, yeah, that's a waste of time. <laughs> you're the person who most needs the hobbies because yeah. even if you're just looking at it from, I want to be the best I can and have the best career I can, which is me. So I feel you. Having the hobbies will help you recharge and help you be better at achieving your goals. Trust me. Those extra two hours that, you know, I take off to go to yoga, go hiking or whatever, they make me more efficient at working in all the rest of the time. Yeah. Like it's literally proven. I don't have the scientific studies on, you know, on the top of my brain right now, but it's literally proven. I mean, it's in like ancient wisdom as well. Like I think it's Buddha said like, you need to take the time to sit outside for a full hour every day mm. unless you're incredibly busy. In that case, you sit outside for two hours. And it's true. Ah. It's true, though, because it's like, trust me, it's like it's an hour out of your day. It's an hour out of your day and it will make the rest of the day more efficient because it's not just about how hard you work. It's about how efficiently you work. So yeah. you actually need that recharge time. To be the best you can be. Even if you're, yeah, if you're one of those crazy people like striving for success, which again, I am. Um, yeah, <laughs> trust me, get a hobby. It's it's interesting as well because, um, you know, something that I always think about is, is success. And I think when I was definitely younger, success was like this unachievable goal and now it's just what do you mean so if you put it unachievable you're never going to achieve it no i know that's because i put it on a pedestal of being like you have to be in you know you know major films or you have to be on a certain set or did you make a game plan to get there or did you just have it as this far away thing i think when i was 21 i just had it as far away thing yeah right. and the older i've gotten the more i've had it as a that doesn't work does it yeah the um but the more older i get the more i go oh okay what's my next step what's the next step i can do what's well, the yeah, next you gotta thing? have short-term goals and long-term yeah. goals what yeah. do you want to what's one of your long-term goals at this stage oh to work in radio is one of them and, that's not specific enough uh, but uh, but to create a radio series is uh like, like fiction yeah fiction series like lay it out for me like what's your exact vision exact- wait if you could have exactly what you wanted if you could be where you wanted doing what you wanted what would oh, that be uh to make a Oh, okay. That's a very good question. Ugh. Um, to be the uh, head executive producer of a um, ten-part anthology series per year, making ten episodes a year of yeah, just great. different stories. Yeah, because if then if you specify it, it's great. So then you have that. You should write it down, put it on a piece of paper in your bedroom, and then it's like if that's your goal. Yeah. Even even specifying what it is. And having it really clear in your mind that that's what you want. It means that every day you wake up and you unconsciously do things that lead towards that. Yeah. You don't have to take you don't have to take all the steps at once. Yeah. You just yeah, take yeah. one step at a time. So it's like maybe in two months' time, you'll start writing a two-part radio play. And then maybe six months after that, you write a ten part. And then after that, you're going to make that into a, you'll see how that goes. Yeah. And then, you know what I mean? It's like just having it in that mind means every day you wake up and run towards that. That's true. Yeah. I was reading about um, motivation versus drive. This is a big thing. You can't rely on motivation to achieve your goals because motivation waxes and wanes like the moon. Yeah. So we can all do things when we're motivated. When we wake up and it's a good day and we're like, I want to do things, we can get things done. But that's not how you achieve anything because everyone has spurts of motivation. The only thing that will help you succeed is still working when you don't have motivation. And the only way to do that is to connect to your drive. And that's just to connect what really matters and what you really want. And that means when you wake up and you feel terrible and it's freezing and you don't want to go for a run, you just do it anyway. Yeah. And habits is the big way to like do that. You know what I mean? If you lock in those habits, you just wake up and you automatically do all the things. 
You know what I mean? Yeah. I'm trying to be more conscious about how I spend all of my time and stuff. I'm, I, God, I sound like I'm preaching. I'm very bad at it and it's taken me a long time and I'm still very disorganized and I'm, I still feel like I'm, things are catching up to me all the time. So that's what I'm really striving for. I'm striving most of all for mastery over myself. And then I believe that the things that I want will come, but it has to start with me first being at my most efficient and generous and open and yeah. Yeah. I mean, that's interesting as well because it's like, you know, it's just having a granted part of just knowing that, yeah, it's forcing those changes of habits and and your yeah, mindset habits is, is it all habits yeah. and mind habits and mindset that's but all i mean it. like i think that's something that you know i remember very much early on as well because i've known you now for a couple of years but last time i saw you was probably like oh god two years ago yeah about two years ago i remember we were chatting also about like you know goals and determination and what was going to go in the future and i i think it's really interesting because we you know with habits now it's it's just yeah. There's so many people out there who don't have habits, like they don't sit in front of a, um, you know, if they keep talking about something, but it's not actually progressing towards something. It's um, how do you, how do you see with people doing that, or how do you how do you change that about yourself? What do you what do you do when you wake up every morning that sets your yeah. your goals? Well, like I said, I think it's all about really defining your long term goals and your short term goals, and then yeah, setting up healthy habits. God, like, all right, if you're in a place, I've been there, I feel you, if you're listening and you're in a place where you're like, I just feel like it's all so far away and I feel like I can't do anything right and I can't, I don't even know where to start, Hmm. start with going to bed on time and waking up on time at the same day, every day. That might take you a year to get right. It took me a long time, especially because I, I don't work in hospitality anymore, but like a lot of performers, I worked in hospitality for a while and I worked in a bar. And then you end up with awful sleeping habits. Mm. And so recalibrating myself after that, um, which I've now done, that, it sounds like such a simple thing, but that can be so hard. So if you fail, forgive yourself. Don't be hard on yourself. It's yeah. really important to strive for those habits, but not to beat yourself up for it. Because if you beat yourself up when you fail, you just throw it all away and you go, I, d- I can't even do it. Who, who cares? So yeah. if, if you break that habit, go back the next day and try again. So yes, yeah, start with... Waking up and going to bed at a good time, eating healthy, they sound so simple, eating eating properly and cleaning your room. I'm sorry, but uh, that's a good point. You have to admit. It's, it's true. And I mean, like, um, I think, I think that's also like, yeah, it's, it's changing a lot of, a lot of like, um, your habits. And that really depends on also the person as well. Like, you know, not everyone can work in a functional clean room. Um, true. that is entirely true. But I mean, like a lot of the, a lot of the time is. Wait, I, what do you mean people can't work in a functional clean room? Uh, <laughs> I, I think it's the way your brain is laid out. I think that there was an interesting study I did, um, like I looked into recently, which is like some people will prefer having clutter because it makes more sense for their brain to know where. But you things. mean for a workspace, right? Well, and also for a bedroom. Well, no, I think they're different things. Because really? I, I sometimes, yeah, I need a, a cluttered workspace. I even need a cluttered editing timeline if I'm editing something. You know, I just need to the like chaos. Yeah, chaos. Um, but I think, firstly, if you're in that space, trying to make some separation between your workspace and your bedroom is a great start as well. I know that's not doesn't seem like it's always financially doable, but it is. Yeah. Because it's important. That's it's an important thing. Having some, even if you need chaos in your working life, mm-hmm. bringing a sense of order to who you are as a person really helps you feel secure in your identity. I think because you, it it gives you ownership over some part of your life. It gives you control over some part of your life. It gives you a steady foundation. Yeah. Because you you wake up and you're more ready to go out in the world. I mean, girls. I mean, guys too, if they want to use makeup, that's fine. But more of the thing for women is talking about using makeup. It's like before you go out, doing your hair, putting on a nice outfit, putting on your makeup, you're ready to go. Yeah. You've taken a moment. I mean, meditation is great for that too. I'm tr- I need to get into that. I don't really do it, but that seems like a great thing too. Taking the moment to ground yourself before you go out in the day means everything will go better. Mm. It's the same thing. If you can have some, it's, it's about bringing peace to your environment. You need to find a way to feel peaceful and happy in your environment. 
Yeah. That's just the foundation that will make everything easier. Yeah, and because the whole thing is because life is chaos and because work is often chaos. Yes. And that embracing that totally. But for your personal space, you need you need you need that. Yeah. That yeah, that's true actually. Cuz I used to say that too. I'm just a chaotic person. Um but I tried it and you know what? Yeah, it helps a lot. Yeah. I mean how do you... Because it also, talking about habits, Yeah, it gives you habits. That's true, keeping, actually. Keeping a clean space, waking up, making your bed, making sure you're always sweeping, making sure, you know what I mean? It gives yeah, yeah, you yeah. habits to do. And even if you, again, going back to if you're the kind of person, and I've been there again, that it's like, where do I even start? My life is just closing in on me. I don't know what's going on. Uh, yeah, yeah. Instead of waking up at, you know... 11 a.m. and being like, oh, God, and all the bad feelings coming in or whatever. Mm. It's like waking up at 8 a.m. and then spending an hour instead of, you know, in feeling your feelings, waking up and then making your bed and making breakfast and cleaning, doing things makes you feel a lot better. So keeping a tidy space gives you things to do. That's they true. both feed into each other. It's thoroughly recommend. <laughs> Can't recommend enough. Are you going to write a book by the end of this? Like... <laughs> No, I, like I said, I'm Naomi and I have a lot of opinions. <laughs> but I, mean, I also talk a lot of shit. Like, I'm not I'm not anyone. Who cares? If, if, you, if you listen to me and you're like, she's full of shit, fine. I, who am I? I haven't, you know, I'm not like, <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm not one of those people that has some inspirational story that can quantifiably prove to you that I've done so much, that I'm so successful that you should listen to my advice. I'm just trying. No, you and I think, I, mean? I, I think at the end of the day, everyone is just trying. Yeah, like, I, I think that is kind of, because there's a broad spectrum as well, which is, you know, everyone thinks that um, everyone has kind of made it or had his level of success. And it's like, no, we're all just trying to get through. Wait, what do you been, mean? Um, Say that again. So, you know how everyone just goes, oh, they look at that, you know, they look at that guest being very successful. I think it was really interesting because I, one of my um, friends was just like, said to me, it's like, oh, you've reached out to a lot of people who have a, had a lot of success or are very successful, or very good at what they do. And it's like, well, they don't, if you listen to what they say, a lot of them just go, oh, this is my next goal. This is my goal, yeah. you know, but it's always about trying and just trying to do the best they can. Yeah. And I think a lot of people forget that because it's a societal problem that we have where we think that everyone has made it whether or not they've appeared on a film or something or you know they've written a book they've suddenly made it in the eyes of social society because society well, tells yeah, that's what I said them before you can't have your success relying on what society thinks of you yeah there's a great scene okay one of my favorite books of all time a little life i'm trying to read more non-fiction i don't really read as much fiction but i love this book it's like a it's one of those big slabs you oh, know like it's yeah. really big like okay, I'm 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 showing Martin with my hands. It's like you know the thickness of the book. You know if you lay it down, is like pretty much a hand. Like it's big. Yeah. Um, and it spans all these years. And yeah. one of the characters is these four friends. One of them like becomes like he starts the book and he's a waiter, and by the end he's like extremely famous actor. Mm. And there's a scene like somewhere probably three quarters through the book where he's like literally a very famous actor and he goes to um, a reunion mm. and this old friend from uni is just being like, oh, you know, how's the acting going? And treating him like he's still a waiter. Like, oh, have you done anything? And, you know, so-and-so answers back like, oh, yeah, I was actually in this film. And like there's literally a billboard of the film like outside the place where they're all meeting and the person's just like, oh yeah, good for you. As if it's like, you know, a community theater play or whatever, you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Like with complete disdain and disgust. And like, that's what I mean. Like it, because you can't, like you can't care what other people think. You just can't. Yeah. It is literally the route to madness. But of course I understand. I understand <laughs> that a lot of us who get into the arts are inherently insecure people. You know, that's like a showbiz joke that goes back hundreds of years. Yeah. The only reason we're all here is because we weren't hugged as children. My mother hugged me as a child. I'm not saying that. Although <laughs> I love you, mum. That is a stereotype. Yeah. And look, I've, yeah. But um, yeah, it's combat that instinct. Yeah. Combat it. So so in saying all that and and um, where did this entire journey like start? Was, was this always something you wanted to do from a very young yeah. age? Like- where did that all start? That's what I mean. Like, I just followed what I feel that I'm good at. Yeah. And it's what I was always doing. Mum jokes about, you know, when I was two, I was like 
singing to the butterflies in the garden or whatever. I remember when I would watch films and like a character would be showing emotion, crying or something. I would just like cry with them. Like I would yeah, just empathize or I don't know, whatever. I was always like watching people. Apparently as a child, I was very like I would just, and I've seen footage of it. <laughs> I just like sit in the corner. I just stare. It's like my way of understanding the world. Yeah. Like it's actually, like I said before, I, I if I could choose, I wouldn't do it. Like just, it's just unfortunately, I sometimes I hate it. It's like, please, I just wish, you know what I mean? But it's like, I, I can't help it. I will still do it. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like I will just always do it. Hey, maybe I shouldn't have monetized it. No, but I, I need to because like we were talking before about hobbies, I didn't invent this. I took this from, I'm pretty sure Elizabeth Warren. Mm. The four things, you have a job, you have career, mm. you have hobby and you have vocation. And making the distinction between those four things is really important because I can really relate to this because again, okay, we talked about hobbies, don't monetize them. We talked about a job that might be, again, I don't work in it anymore, but I worked in hospitality for a long time. That's something you do to pay the rent. Mm. You can also have a career. So right now, in addition to um, my artistic pursuits, career, obviously I have my acting career and I have my music career. I also have a bit of a career as um, an educator, right? Mm. So I teach music and that requires professional development. It requires investment. So it's not like a job at the bar. I don't just turn up and do it. It requires, yeah, professional development, thought, yeah, goals, planning. It requires all of that. It is a career and it will progress. It's not just a job. That is still not the same as a vocation. So a vocation is like your calling in life, whatever. And the vocation can be your career. Yeah. But it doesn't have to be. Your vocation could be being a mother. Your vocation could be serving your community. But it is the thing that you invest the most time and energy and care into. Yeah. That's the point. But the thing is, demanding that it be your career straight away will lead to a bunch of identity issues and stuff because you'd be like, but my vocation, because Elizabeth Warren, for example, this is the girl who wrote Eat, Pray, Love, by the way. Mm-hmm. Um, if you're demanding that your writing, that was in hers, that was her case. If you're demanding that your writing be your career straight away, otherwise it can't be your vocation, mm. then you'll go insane. Because like she said, so she had a career, I don't remember what it was, some corporate career. She had a career and then every night she'd come home and write. And you know, like the thing is, again, talking about not caring what other people think, no one around her thought that was her job no yeah. one said hey elizabeth you're a writer they said hey you're doing whatever your career is yeah, yeah, yeah. um and but the only thing is the vocation is you the only person who knows or cares is you so even if everyone's telling you like they were telling her oh like that's not what i see you as i don't even see you as a writer but to her it was her core identity it's what really mattered and that is that's enough so but make the distinction because she would have never gotten to where she was if she had an insatiable need to make it her career all along. Mm. And it would have crippled her anyway. You know what I mean? Because it's like talking about me. It's like working as a teacher has been very supplementary to me as an artist. Mm. And working in a bar really wasn't. So because it requires so much time and like I said about the habits and all, for many reasons, working in hospitality crushes the soul. Um, so to have found another career yeah, is actually, yeah, like being really supplementary. I, I love it. You know, I, I like teaching children. They're very present. It requires you to be fully present for an hour or yeah. however long you're teaching and really engage, respond with what people are doing. And, you know, like art is about performing arts. It's very much about communication and being present and all that. So it's, yeah. I'm developing the same skills. So it's it's great. You know what I mean? But again, I'm I within myself, you know, like, for you know, yeah, some, you know, I have kids who see me as a teacher. I don't care. I don't need to have them know that I'm an actor. I don't even bring it up. I keep it completely separate. Yeah. It's like, but if you were that insecure, if you're like, I need people to know that I'm an actor, you'd be the kind of teacher. And I've met some who are like trying to bring up their connections. Like, why are you teaching kids? And you're like, oh my God, I don't care. You know what yeah. I mean? Um, just, yeah, because you can't, again, it's about identity. I, it's really important for vocation and identity that it's a personal thing. If you if you if you're putting it in the hands of others, you've lost. You've all instantly yeah lost. Yes, but right. Wait, what was your question? 
how how when did you when did, when did you the, when did this yeah, all start always, always um because i was very i mean talking again about not having hobbies whatever i was always very obsessed me and my mother have this joke of like again talking about in contrast to the habits that i've tried to form now uh we call me as a teenager like the artistic goblin because like i would literally just like i would like barely shower like i would just be in my room analyzing art all day every day like it's just all i do it's just like how i make sense of yeah, yeah. It's, it's what I understand. It's like there's so many ways, you know, that I, yeah, it's just all that, it's all that my brain is yeah. occupied with. I mean, that. <sighs> also, I thought of another hobby. Yeah, my yeah. other hobby is shit talking. And I don't even mean that. Like, I love like academic debates. Like, I like, you know, I like nutting out esoteric concepts. Yeah. And I consider that a hobby because I don't need to monetize that, but I fucking love it. You know what I mean? Yeah. I think that's interesting is um, that when we get very passionate about something as well from a young, you know, from a perspective of a young age, like I used to do the same with editing. So it's like editing a sequence. I used to take old films that, you know, and yeah. create new stories with them. So whether or not that was through different story um, beats and everything and, you know, you just form it together, that that was kind of like where I grew up and, you know, from a le- learning that through a visual medium. Yeah. But... What do you use? Windows Move Maker? No, or oh, I did back in the day. Yeah. And it crashed multiple times yeah, when I went to it's HD. Terrible. Um, but no, I use Premiere Pro now. No, no, no. Of course you use it now. I mean, what did you use back first yeah, to so learn like when you were doing that? Definitely like I'm, I think it was iMovie. Well, because what I'm saying is Windows like if you're Movie. lucky enough kid that you have iMovie instead of Windows Movie Maker, you're very lucky. Yeah. iMovie is much better. Yeah. And it's more, it's more, it's closer to what Premiere is. Yes. iMovie, it's like, uh, I mean, Windows Movie Maker, you can't even cut. You have to trim <laughs> clips, you That's know what true. I mean, and then like duplicate it and then trim it again. It's awful. Yeah, you and cannot just like cut a clip. It's crazy. Um, and everything has to be on a low res. It just doesn't cope with HD yeah. files. Yeah. I I mean, though with me, you know, with like, when did you start like also, you know, recording stuff and like actually, you know, putting it up because you had a YouTube um oh. period of time as well. Ah, <laughs> oh, YouTube. Oh, YouTube's uh, a funny one because I. Because I was, yeah, it's, <laughs> I have a lot of random specific knowledge about the early growth of YouTube. Yeah. Um, and it was a really weird time. And I'm lucky that I, I'm so glad to have seen it because it's the most unique thing that's happened. And it formed the foundation of internet culture now. And it's so different. And people don't really get what it was like. Um, I was, okay, yeah, so I, I was in the YouTube community or whatever, um, and back in the days where people who were famous now mm. were not famous, mm. and so we'd all just chat, yeah. you know what I mean? Um, a lot of my original, I was a very shy kid, so a lot of my first, like, friends were on the internet, um, <laughs> which my mother was always very concerned about, rightly so, rightly so. Um I don't know if I'll let my kids have internet. No, I would. I mean, but like, I, I saw some messed up anyway. But um, so I was always. I'm just interested. Okay, the reason it's so fascinating to me, and this has, this has nothing to do with what making internet content is now. Yeah. This is the thing. Making internet content now is making internet content. You are making content for an audience, and you're trying to make it the best you can. But yeah. in the very early days of YouTube. People weren't making content. They were just connecting. Like when people made vlogs, vlogging is kind of out. I mean, people do like crazy daily vlogs or whatever. You know, you got your crazy like stunty stuff. But like back in the day, people literally would just record themselves talking. And it was also, I mean, everyone knows now that the internet is like an idealized version of yourself. Like everyone, that's a whole thing. We all put fake selves online or whatever. But back in the day... The internet was actually where people were more real than Mm. real life. And it was mostly people on the internet, people on YouTube from 2007 to 2010 were freaks. Like, honestly, cool, normal people were not on the internet. And making YouTube videos was a really weird thing. And it, it is, talking into a camera. It was weird. I say this all the time, but the kinds of people, like someone like PewDiePie, love him, great, whatever, but he probably wouldn't come up now. You know, mm. like, because anyone who was a YouTuber back in the day, these days, would only be an editor. They'd be an editor for someone more hot and and charismatic. You know what I mean? Because if you watch all old YouTubers, everyone's pale and awkward. Like, they are. And the thing is, they're good at making videos and they get better. 
Yeah. Um, but they don't have that. I mean, a lot of vloggers start out now and they're already charming, like from the go. Yeah. You know, it's like it's it mimics more of a traditional media where, you know, you have your neurotic writers and directors and then you bring in your handsome, confident actors. Yeah. You know, to, it's more like that, you know what I mean? But people who are on YouTube at the start were like nerdy people who were interested in the internet as a thing. Like we all felt like we were one community. It's so lame, but we used to say stuff like team internet. And like when anyone was getting mainstream success, we'd all support them. And yeah. like you knew every single YouTuber. It's it's just, no, you did because there weren't yeah. that many. Um, And so, but what's interesting is like, understandably so, most of those people who were starting to get attention and stuff developed into content creators because yeah. the act of recording yourself and making vlogs and stuff is a skill. So they developed those skills because they were doing it and they turned, a lot of them turned into filmmakers, whatever, la, la, la. But to witness it, and obviously as a filmmaker or a creator, you don't have a personal connection with your fans. Yeah. You it's you have a creator fan relationship. Yeah, but yeah, to yeah. wit it's very fascinating and a lot of people had identity identity crises that you got to see on camera seeing them turn from a friend to a creator. It was very fascinating because it wasn't monetized for a very long time. Yeah. You, it wasn't monetized back in the early days. It was literally just people talking, you know? And then yeah, and then they turned into creators, but it was just such an interesting switch to see that. Yeah. And there's there are still some of them who are still doing it to this day. Who? Um, I think the one who I still watch who was in the early days was Emma Blackery. She's been- Yeah, but haven't that's exactly what I'm talking about. Haven't you seen the identity crisis? Oh, yes. So much. They just but even Emma Blackery, she started like I don't I can't remember exactly, but she started 2012. She was new. She was not there. She was a fan of people like Charlie ah. like and stuff. Yeah. So she she's not up- even she's not even old school. So she's That's not one I'm of saying. the originals. No, 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 no. So like the, the seven- only one I uh, who I still watch who was like part of the original are the Vlog Brothers. That's true. Uh, yeah. Who, by the way, it's so weird to me. I've been watching. Uh, I've been watching the Vlog Brothers for forever. That's what I mean. I, my first friends were as part of that community i'm not gonna say the name but you will know it if you know it it's gonna sound, make me sound like a dog which i am it's fine i'm a dog <laughs> um but the vlog brothers they hank green is now a tiktok star yeah and i've met people who bring up hank green and i'm like what that's so weird it's hank green no he's like he's he's like mine from 2007 what are you talking about but no you're good for him and yeah. they're great but see, they were a random exception as well because what I'm saying with like you couldn't really monetize YouTube at the start because they were adults. Most of the people on YouTube were like teenagers. Yeah. And there were these two random like dads. <laughs> um, <laughs> no offense. Um, <laughs> they weren't dads when they started. Uh, th- because they had careers, they were professional yeah. people. They, were, they had started to think about like how could we monetize it, but it was unique. Like I remember, I remember being around on YouTube and some people became YouTube partners and started putting ads on their videos. And there was like so much complaints, like you guys are selling out, like what is yeah. this, la la la. And then I remember when they took away video responses, that was just like the end of YouTube as a community. It changed from YouTube broadcast yourself to YouTube the TV show, I suppose. Yeah, essentially. And then YouTube Red and all that stuff, like a paid yeah, subscription. Which I'm not against. P- no. Things should develop. It's just fascinating because we'll never see we'll never see what was there at the no. start. And if you want something that sums it up and how weird it was, I would recommend uh, Benjamin Cook's, like, I don't know, maybe 10-part series called Becoming YouTube. Yes, it and really, that's a great series. It really captures that niche. And I watched it, a bit of it recently and I was like, it's dated so much, but that's good. Like, I mean, it's dated because it's so specific to the time. Yeah. But if you want to understand what that weird mindset thing was, watch that. So yeah, Nine Brass Monkeys on YouTube, Becoming YouTube. It's so interesting. And you see what I'm talking about. All these people, they're very, um. I'm not trying to insult anyone. I am weird and shy and awkward too. But you know, it's what I'm saying. <laughs> these people were the stars. Yeah. Like they were idealized like rock stars, like super handsome, cool people. But yeah, really yeah. they're just like nerdy people who are interested in the internet. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Who again, like I say, I swear to God, if Charlie So Cool Like was trying to make YouTube videos now as a teenager, he'd be editing for his like more charming friend. That's true, yeah. Because I remember, I remember starting to see, like, 
lots of normal people around me. Yeah. Normal, <laughs> stop saying that. But like um, making vlogs or whatever yeah. and me being like, what? I thought it was a weird thing. And yeah. almost, almost feeling like gatekeepy. Like, how dare you come in and like make YouTube videos when I got called a weirdo for so long for doing, you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's fine. Anyway, what were you? Uh, YouTube. <laughs> YouTube. I So I did make videos. Just, I, oh, I remember. I made, I started making, this is stupid. It's just cover videos. No one cares. It doesn't matter. But in my gap year, I would make cover videos and I made a small little series called The Sylvia Plath Project, which is more interesting because at least it's um, original. So I was yeah. taking Sylvia Plath poems and making them into weird little films. They're not great or anything. Like I, I just was on my gap year. Um, oh, and then I made like some, I made this like half an hour documentary thing about my gap year. That's it basically. And then I just moved, you know, mm. I moved to Sydney to, you know, actually go to acting school, um, which is what I cared about. Um, and then I didn't do YouTube for years. And then do you know what happened with that whole thing? Oh, the, the whole YouTube yeah. fiasco and fiasco. No, 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 no. So I mean like the reason I started making videos again. No. Oh, you didn't know? No, 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 no. Oh, right. Like, why did I say that? Like, you should know. Like, you don't know. It's fine. Yeah, you don't know. No, I don't right, know. So, um, so I didn't really do YouTube, but I was always interested, like I said, because I grew up with it. So yeah. I always had this fascination with it. And then literally one time, I last year, I don't know. I don't know when we are. I think it was 20, 2019. Mm. Yeah, it was 2019. End of 2019. I'm pretty sure. Yeah, it was end of, I don't know. Anyway, I don't know time anymore. Um, <laughs> so anyway, I was moving house. I was moving apartments. And like I said, oh, I don't know. It's so wank. I don't even know why I did it. My thing is like to make art, I don't really need much of an excuse. I just need any stimulus or impetus. Yeah. Like I don't even know why I do things half the time. Like I said about music, right? Like I said about music at the start, I, um, I only make something if I randomly inspiration strikes or whatever. So what happened is... I, I have literally no idea why I watched this, but I was moving house and I was like, oh, I haven't done anything creative this week because I've just been like moving house. Mm. So I was like, I don't feel like myself. And then I randomly saw this video from this YouTuber called Rumi Official, who's like very big. He's got like 7 million subscribers. Mm. Um, he sometimes collabs with PewDiePie. He's, he's like a musician YouTuber. He's a great singer, great producer, all that. Anyway, so he randomly put out this video that was like calling all musicians. And he was like, in the video, he was like, here's like a five second melody. And it was like, just da 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 That was it. And mm. he's like, turn that into a song. And if I like it, I'll feature you. And the thing is, I, I always say this now. It's like, I didn't do it for exposure because like I wasn't really prepared for what happened. Like, I wasn't the kind of person who was trying to make a YouTube career and then this would have really helped me out. Yeah. Like, I feel like I squandered it and I feel like I don't deserve it. Anyway, what happened is I made a song um, and he featured it, which is really nice. And then he was also like, because I didn't have any music gear, um, but I'd been songwriting for ages or whatever. And he was like, oh, you're really talented. I'm going to buy you a microphone and send it to your house. Wow. I know. Yeah. What a nice guy. Joel, if you're listening, which you're really, obviously not. Um, but Joel, you're a very, very, very nice person. And it's one of the nicest things anyone's ever done for me. Because I don't know, it, like, it was nice to have someone, I just said this whole time, you shouldn't care what other people think. But it was nice to have someone be like, wow, I like want to like Help invest you in you. Yeah. Like it's, I don't know. So he sent me this microphone and then a bunch of his like viewers came and yeah. watched my thing, my song. And then I made another song and he, yeah. He promoted it. Well, he he just went, click the link in the description and a lot of people clicked. Um, and so I have some amount of viewers. They're really nice. Everyone who watches my videos is very nice. Um, and I I just, I got so overwhelmed because I, I started thinking about how everyone was viewing it, you know, because like the the one... The one that was the song out of the, out of the melody he gave, I think that was like 30,000 views. And then the next one was like... 35 i don't remember yeah, yeah, exactly yeah. which is not like crazy like it's, but I, I can't believe like if you actually quantify it you go i can't believe thirty thousand people watched that what the heck um but then i started getting way in my head about you know and i'm very much a perfectionist so then i didn't want to put things out that i didn't like yeah so i just leave all this time between videos so if we're talking about yeah 
like I said, I didn't deserve it because I wasn't building a an internet career. Yeah, yeah. And yeah. I got all this attention and I was like, I don't even now I best guess I better start. But anyway, I don't do it for that. Like I just I don't yeah, I'm not trying to it's not results based for me. Like I said, music is just about, I don't know, expression. Yeah. Um, but I love engaging with I love making it's really nice now. It's a very small audience, but I love them. It's like six thousand subscribers or something. Um, but it's just nice to have that so that when I make a song, I put it out, people like listen to it and they like respond to it yeah that's like it's really nice so this year i made a goal to make one video every month okay which is i'm finding it so hard i'm finding it so hard but i have achieved i missed which one did i miss i did january i did i missed february and then i did march i did april just i was like two hours late for april i uploaded it like at 2 a.m on the first of may it's fine it's fine um, so I need one for May, you know, and yeah. then, yeah. And but then- that's, because like I said, it's, it's like about setting goals and stuff. It's more about doing it. Yeah. And I don't know where it will lead. Maybe it will lead absolutely nowhere and that's fine. I don't deserve, I don't, I don't deserve the world giving me what I want. Yeah. All, uh, all that matters is that I do it. Yes. And then whatever happens, happens. But I just want, like I said, mastery over myself, meet that deadline. Yeah. I'm terrible with deadlines. I'm terrible. Um, but yes, that's so I'm like, it's very distinct. You have to do it in the month, you yeah. know, like, so it's, that's helped me. Cause even like, yeah, yeah. Every time I do it, I learn like 10 things. You know what I mean? Yeah. Even if I'm not happy with it and it's not the best thing I've ever made, there has to be some standard that you're happy. Like I haven't put out a video. I just put out a video. It's probably my like weakest video, whatever. In the sense that like, I often like devise and create things that are very complicated. Like I did a version of an Ariana Grande song point of view. And it was like, I did a lo-fi remix. So I like rearranged it. I made a beat. And then I, I put like 10, I filmed myself in six different positions yeah, and then yeah. masked them all in, whatever. I recently just did a, for the most recent video, I just did a cover of Alana Del Rey song, but it, my vocals are, I'm happy with and stuff. Um, but that was it. Like I just did a cover. But it's also the process of filming that and doing all that stuff. I still learned five things. And like I yeah. said, I really think for me right now, for my goals, it's more important that I want to make something every month than go, well, I could have done more. Of course, you could always yeah. do more. But just getting my workflow up, I'm trying to work on my workflow. That's it. I just want yeah. to, yeah. I think, I think that's incredibly um, uh, hard as well because, you know, like – I think I think with every every sort of goal that everyone sets, it, it's good to have like you know every. This is the thing as well about this podcast. I started when I started this. God, back in October, I said to myself, every Saturday, the beginning of the year, I'm going to be releasing. So, so from the thirtieth of January, I've only missed one week. Yeah, right. Good. And for you. like I've got lined up now, people until next year, and that to me, you know, just goes. You can do yeah, something. Yeah, it gives you a it, sense of yeah. So I agree everything with you saying because it's sort of like you've got to have these, you know, and I don't know where this will lead. I don't know anything yeah. about, you know, but people will know more about people and what their interests are and what but they're fascinated. But also importantly, you did it though. Yeah. And I think I think that's also like the thing is I keep saying to people, it's like it's it's not, it's just, it's like the same with networking and everything comes back down to just say hello to people. Oh, I hate that word. Like networking. what? It's, but it's just, I don't really do that. But I like the first time we met, I reached out to you and I said, hey, yeah, sure. you know, but that's networking. I've always done that. I've been like, hey, I don't know you. Here's an email with blah. True. But and no, didn't you, you reached out to me to, to th- shoot to a be, film. Yes. But that's still. What's, a, what's but, happening with that, Martin? <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> it's somewhere in the back of the pipelines. Um, it is still around. It is on a table somewhere, but it's, it's, it's on hold. Everything went COVID shit. Um, but yeah, I mean, like one of those things that, you know, every time you went and you reach out to someone, there's always an incentive of what's, you know, like, you know, networking is a, a kind of see, a part See, I, I don't like to reach out with an incentive. Really? You just like to reach out and see what happens? Well, I suppose I don't really reach out. But, like, I just mean, like, I don't, I don't, I never want people to think that I want something from them. No. Because I don't. You know what I mean? I appreciate people. You know what I mean? But I don't, you know what I mean? I don't want anything from anyone. You know what I mean? You don't want or need? Neither. You know what I mean? Yeah. We're all just... I sound like a hippie, but like we're all just beautiful <laughs> human beings. You know what I mean? Sharing this I planet. Pr- yeah. yeah, sharing this planet. I appreciate other artists. Yeah. I love collaborating with them. You know, I love yeah, yeah, yeah. working with them, but I don't need, you know what I mean? I don't yeah. need them. I don't need, feel a need to like 
grab them. You know what I mean? Yeah. You know what no, I mean? I, I get what you mean. Like, I feel like some people out there, you know, and this comes down to, a, you know, I I, will, I went, out, I did a project recently and I just think it was like one of the things that I did um, recently to help out a friend. But I remember at this time, I was like, I don't need this. I don't need this. Um, in you know, I don't need to do this to fill like um. So it was a it was a project to, to do with um you know educating people on Down syndrome. Right. And I didn't I didn't personally need to, you know any sort of praise or anything for it. I was just like I want to do it because I want to help out a friend. Like I just right. mentally. But yeah, there and were, you care about the subject matter. I care about the subject matter. I care about my friend. But uh, you know, some people do it to kind of achieve you know something in their goal. I wasn't thinking about you know in the career or whatever. But nine times out of ten, I don't think that when I ever I make something, I don't go well. You know, like I better tick off you know the next goal. And yeah. You know. So what what would you say was the reason you did it? Um, definitely just because I care. I loved I lo- I loved creating something. I loved you know being a part so of something. What did you do for that? Um, um, I produced it and I'm nice. editing it. So um, but do you like uh, editing non? what do you call it uh, non-narrative yeah, i do i yeah. love do you prefer it, it? what do you prefer i oh okay that's a very i prefer a lot of things i love challenging myself when it comes to editing yeah because it is the only way that you can it's like doing a jigsaw puzzle and it's the yeah, I that. it's the funnest thing to do it's like in entirely just picking apart someone's brain looking at how it works but not doing it always in a linear narrative or you know like or non-linear narrative like you're just doing it do you so do you prefer non-narrative because there's more there's kind of more for the editor to do sometimes yeah but i also prefer narrative because you know sometimes it's just nice simple and quick it it just really depends on the story what's your favorite thing you've ever edited oh okay that's that's a deep question um or probably that's a that's a good question, actually. Um, what's the last thing that I really was proud of that I edited? Um, probably the, the like. The, I'm trying to really think. It's been a while. Um, Are you editing the the, the I'm editing, now? Yeah, yeah, I'm editing um, that now. But I mean, like, in terms of the last thing I edited, um, I've done like editing my own projects. But probably, like, yeah, in terms of editing someone else's. Yeah, it would be like, a f- you know, 2016, 2017. And it was really fun, but it was also just like you... you Wait, know, is that the name of the project? No, no. Um, the name of the project was... It never got released, unfortunately, which, you know, it was down to the director. Happens, just no one. Yeah. Um, but it was called Brothers. And it was a really nice um, shot um, piece. It was just set in a room with two brothers and it was just a conversation between them. But And I really liked it. I was really proud of it. It was nice music to it and everything. Um, but yeah, it was just one of those simple, yeah. you know, four-minute stories and it was just really nice and concise and I really liked the way it was told. I think, yeah, that, but in terms of, like, everything that I've loved editing, I always love challenges. I love, you know. Yeah, if, well, yeah, all of yeah, us, you know. If I could film, if, if and I also like it how you don't film everything in order. That's, like, my funnest thing is just kind of then you have to piece, like, what you shot at the beginning of the day at the end of the day, um, scene yeah, and just, like, mix it around. But, yeah, like, I will edit anything because I just think it's, like, yeah. the funnest biggest so joy. editing is your favorite it's it's definitely say. so yeah. do you describe yourself as an editor first yes yes well mm. we've come full circle <laughs> started with uh, me saying what i am and now we've gotten an answer out of marty so we <laughs> might wrap it up <laughs> was that your little end goal was that now you hosting Oh yeah, I suppose <laughs> we did. By so the end, a, I was asking you. Yeah, I know. This is yeah. this is this is amazing. I like that. Um, uh, but, you're welcome. <laughs> but thank you for joining. Oh no, of course. Yeah, that was great. Um, no, I hope you had fun. Thank you for listening. If you listened, um, yeah, you're still listening. Um, yeah, no, they will be. Um, but yeah, these are the things we do podcast. Um, and if you want to check out more episodes, you can check them out on Apple and Spotify. If you want to listen to another guest chat, listen to it next week and I'll speak to you all later. Goodbye. Bye.